0: If you have your Bibles tonight and would turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, I'm going to read about three verses from Matthew chapter 16, and I will begin at verse number two, Matthew chapter 16, didn't this Praise team and choir, they do a fantastic job today. Amen. It's so easy for us sometimes to—number one, these folks don't just show up on Sunday and decide they're going to sing a song. A lot of folks just show up and think, "Oh well, now it's time to sing," so give me a microphone. These folks have been coming for hours and hours and hours and hours of rehearsal and and getting ready to come to sing because the Bible says to sing in the spirit and to sing with understanding also. I'm thankful that we have people that understand music and understand what the Lord is going to do in a service through music. And I'm thankful for this group of people that come and rehearse. They work hard. They put their heart into it. They sing. I appreciate Sister Cheryl for working so hard. Sometimes we we quickly criticize, but did you notice the diversity in tonight's music? We did black gospel, we did contemporary, we did traditional, we did traditional old music tonight. It was a complete variety of music that hopefully spoke to every heart in this room today. And I thank you, Sister Cheryl, for being sensitive to this entire congregation. We want everybody to be blessed. We want everybody to be blessed. She does a great job every week. Thank you on this Easter. Let us say thank you. The extra hours that you put in, we appreciate it so very much. Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to begin at verse number 2. He answered and said unto them, When it's evening, You say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye can't discern the signs of the time. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And he left them and I feel to speak to you tonight from a subject that has been dear to my heart for the last few weeks and occasionally there are certain subjects that I wrestle with and this is one of the, one of the messages, one of the thoughts that I have wrestled with for several weeks and I have sought the Lord for the right time to bring this message to this congregation and I pray that I have heard from the Lord on the right time to bring this message tonight. But I want to speak to you for a little bit tonight from the subject discerning the times. Discerning the times. We don't do this too often, but Brother Price, I'm going to ask you tonight to lead us in prayer for the anointing of the Lord over this message tonight.
1: Our Father, tonight
0: we've heard your word read,
1: and how true the end is near. And Father, my God, we see the signs all around us. I pray you anointing on Brother Jordan tonight. I pray, oh God, you'd bless our ears to hear and receive what you've spoken through him. We ask in the wonderful name of Jesus for your honor and glory in Jesus' name.
0: God bless you. Speak to two or three people around you before you're seated. It goes without saying that in the days leading up to the crucifixion it is very clear and the scripture implies that Jesus was well aware of what was transpiring in his midst. As he appointed the disciples, as I preached last week, as he appointed the disciples to go and find a colt that was tied in a distance that he may ride into town, Jesus was well aware that his time had come. As he... Prepared to enter into the city that he said he would not enter again until he heard them cry. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was well aware of what was transpiring around him. He knew when he spoke to the disciples and they did not understand. He wanted them to understand And he discerned the times and sought for them to recognize. And he said to them, for my hour has come. Previously when he talked to them, he told them, for my hour has not yet come. But now he tells them, for my hour has come. Jesus discerned. He knew what was transpiring. He knew what the end would be. He knew that the crucifixion was before him. And yet, he went to the cross. After the cross, he preached to those who were imprisoned. He came forth with the keys of death, of hell and the grave. In other words, he went back and preached to those who had already departed. And he knew what that was going to blow the minds of everybody else. Jesus already knew through his foreknowledge. He already knew that on the third day he was going to rise again. For he spoke to them and he told them destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. They started looking to carpenters and builders and saying it's impossible but they did not know the temple in which he was speaking of. Jesus discerned the times. The people of God have always been called to be people who discerned the times. As a matter of fact every great leader must understand the importance of timing. Timing is so very important in everything that we do. There are so many people that do the right thing, but they do it at the wrong time. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Silver. The wise writer stated, it is the timeliness of the word that can become so very important and to discern the times. We live in a day in which that if there is anything that I may tell folks to pray for and ask for and that is wisdom to discern the times. To understand where we live. If we look at God's great timetable of where we are in the great history of mankind and in Bible prophecy to understand that all things are lining up and leading up to one thing and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must be a people that discern the times and recognize where we are in God's great timetable. The, the, as the Lord, uh, if we go back in Bible times, we find that the people of God, they lived together in great uh, community. They lived together. The multiple tribes, 12 tribes of Israel came together. They lived together. And uh, they, they traveled together. They, they wandered together. There's 12 different tribes made up of 12 different uh, groups of people from the progenity of uh, all leading back, pointing to one to one great father. But uh, these 12 tribes separated and then come back together again. And there's the 12 tribes. Uh, every one of them had a responsibility. It was Dan, the tribe of Dan, I believe it was, that followed the children of Israel through the wilderness wandering and they made sure that all the sick folk and the dead folk and the crippled folk weren't left behind. Every tribe had something to do. It was the tribe of Judah that they knew they had a job to do. They were the praisers of God. It was it was the tribe. It was the tribe of Issachar. I preached about several months ago. It was the tribe of Issachar that the Bible speaks about and said for they were people who discerned the times and they knew what Israel should do. They recognized the times. They were a discerner of the times and they knew what was right. I pray to God that we have some people of God and as members of Christian Life Church that discern the times. I pray that we have some people that are not just living life blindly, but that we are living with our eyes wide open and discerning the times. If these young people and young adults that are in this room tonight, if I could, I know that I'm looking more like an old man all the time, but if I could somehow just press on you to listen to your pastor tonight when I tell you we need to discern the times. These are very, very important moments. And so to discern the times is so very important. We need people that discern the times. The men of Issachar discerned the times. a lot of wisdom in that phrase. They discerned the times and they recognized what was right for the people of God. I thank God for people who discern the times and recognize clearly understanding where we are in God's great timetable. I I pray that there are those that are among us that are living with your eyes wide open to recognize where Christian Life Church is. That we recognize where that we are not only as a church, but where we are as a people. Where we are as a nation. Where we are in God's great timetable. So the Bible implores us and calls us and Jesus speaks in our text tonight to those who often could throw their hand in the air and say, Well, let me predict what's going to happen tomorrow for it will be fair weather or it will be foul weather based on what they were seeing from the sky. And Jesus looked at them and said, You're trying to make something spiritual out of something that is natural. And Jesus basically is saying to them, fooey on your spirituality. You are doing nothing but looking up in the sky and seeing the clouds and saying it's going to rain or it's not going to rain because of the signs that you can see in the heavens. And it impresses some people because you have the ability to speak certain things or, or, or you can creep on certain people and learn certain things about them and speak certain things as if it is prophetic of God. And yet, he said, you don't even have the ability, the Lord said, He speaks to the Pharisees and tells them you hypocrites acting like you have the gift of discernment because you can predict what's happening tomorrow but you don't even have the ability to discern the signs of the times in which we live. I implore the church. I call for the church. I pray that the church would be sensitive to the moment of the time. But some of us do recognize the time. And our problem is not not knowing. But our problem is not doing what we know. We know what needs to be done. Oh, Nobody can tell us anything because we have all the answers. We, we already know what needs to be done. As a matter of fact, we'll tell everybody else what needs to be done. But we don't do it ourselves. I believe it was James chapter 4 along about verse number 17 that speaks into this and says to he that knoweth. To do good but doeth it not. He said to him it is sin. So for many the problem is not not knowing but it is not doing what they know to do. There is such a thing as the sin of omission. The sin of not doing what we know ought to be done. Edmund Burke said all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. In the parable of the talents, Jesus described a man who did nothing with what the Lord had given him. The Lord gave him money. He went and digged in the earth and he hid his Lord's money. And when the Lord returned... He pulls out the money and says, here's exactly what you gave me. Here it is back to you. And the Lord looked at him and said, you slothful and unproductive servant. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't take anything. I didn't steal anything. And the Lord said, but you didn't make any profit out of what I gave you. He that knoweth to do good must do good because one of these days we're going to stand before the Lord we have two routes out of here can I share this with you tonight you have two routes out of here either we're going to go out of here when the trumpet sounds or either we're going to go by way of the grave But whether you go by way of the grave or you go by way of the rapture, when you get there, you're going to stand before him and he is going to say one of two things to you. He is either going to say, depart from me for I never knew you or he is going to say to you, well done. And the only way that the Lord can say well done is if we are doing well. And if He's going to say well done, we're going to have to be doing. So it's going to take more than just knowing, more than just understanding, more than just recognizing, more than just having the answers. I'm tired of people having all the answers. I want to see somebody that can say, I'm going to do what I know to do. Far too many people sit idly by as spectators on the sidelines instead of actively participating and working for the good of the kingdom of God. If good wins, they join in the celebration. Although they did nothing to produce the victory, they want to celebrate as if remember when we did this. We painted the church yesterday. Brother Danny did most of the application. We did it. When it all goes bad, we all already knew in advance it was not going to work out. If they'd have asked me, I would have told them. Because I already knew, and you did too. But they didn't ask us, so we kept our mouth shut. Don't worry, they sell shoe polish at Walmart. We've got to men men that know to do and do are men that are proactive. they are not sitting around waiting for somebody, well, as soon as they come and ask me individually, as as soon as they massage my ego, as soon as they brag on me enough, as soon as they, we've got to have some people of God that will stand up and say, it doesn't matter if nobody else does it, I am going to take a stand. When it comes to righteousness, the whole world can do what they want to do. But I am going to stand for righteousness. Right. When it comes to labor labor, and work in the kingdom of God, the whole world can stand idly by. I'm going to engage in the activity of reaching those that are lost before it is too late. <coughs> There is a syndrome that is popular and being diagnosed around the country as many people are watching things that go wrong and I can't call it by name. I should have researched it before I came to preach this message. But there is a psychological thing that happens. It is group psychology. And they say that when when something goes wrong, when there is a, a beating happening in front of a group of people, they have been questioning why people stand by. We criticize them for standing by, not stepping in and not doing anything but here's what the psychologists are saying they are saying that it is more likely that if there is a small group a very small group and when something goes wrong somebody steps in But the more people that you have gathered in a crowd, the less likely it is that they will step in and and intervene. And the greater the crowd, the more likely that everybody in the crowd is to stand on the sidelines and look and they feel comfortable because, well, nobody else is stepping in either. Can I come to the church tonight? It is so easy for us to get that mentality in the church and say, well, it's just going to get done. Somebody's always going to just get the job done. We're just going to show up. Nobody else is doing it, so I don't have to do it either. I'm calling the church to pay attention to where we are as a people and discern the times and be proactive and step in and say, I will not just wait for somebody else to do it. I'll teach the Bible study. I'll pray the prayer. Time. I'll fast on the fast day. I'll labor. I'll show up to work day. I'll do what needs to be done. I'll be the one that cleans the church. I'll be the one that fills the holes in the parking lot. I'll show up to work day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whew. I saw that lead balloon fall out of the air. Many have mistaken the notion that good is merely the absence of doing wrong. But it's not. One is not merely doing good because he's not doing wrong. He is not doing good until he engages in doing. The sin of omission could be one of the most underrated and undermentioned sins of the word of God. The people of Issachar understood the times. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can quote all the scripture you want. You can discern all the skies that you want. But do you discern the times? So if we're going to hear the words well done, we've got to be doing then there's another group that the Bible speaks about. It was a group of people. They were good men. They, they, were, they were hard-working men. Uh, the Bible talks about them in Matthew chapter 13. They were a hard-working group of men. They, uh, they were doing what every good person ought to be doing. They were working, they were laboring, they were toiling in the field. The Bible said that, that they they had gone out and they they had obviously they had planted good seed on fertile soil they had worked in the field they they worked in the field they toiled in the ground the ground they tilled the ground they pulled out the rocks and the roots and they prepared it they put down the fertilizer they put down good seed and they become tired in all of the labor and the work in which that they had been doing And the Bible says that they had laid down to take a nap. They had began to rest. And here's what Matthew chapter 13 says. It says that while men slept that the enemy came in and spread tares in the field and when the men woke up from their nap and they looked out and all of a sudden uh, nothing looked any different than it did before they went to bed uh, but when they got up and they walked out into the fields they didn't know what had happened because while that the strong man was sleeping while the good man was resting while the good people had become weird Weary in well-doing. While the people that had, they didn't do anything wrong. They hadn't chosen the wrong field. They hadn't chosen the wrong seed. They hadn't chosen the wrong the, 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 the wrong methods. They didn't plan in the wrong season. But all that happened was that they became weary. The Bible said that in the last days that Satan would come to wear out the church. Can I preach to somebody tonight that have been working in God's field? And you get frustrated and you feel overloaded and you get tired and you get weary. Can I shake us up tonight and tell us don't become weary in well doing for we shall reap if we faint not. But if you go to sleep, I come to tell you that while you're sleeping, the enemy will come in and sow tears in your field. The enemy doesn't really care about you. When the enemy shows up, he shows up to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He doesn't show up. He may show up as your friend. He may put a smile on your face, but don't you ever kid yourself. Somebody told me a long time ago, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. when the enemy shows up, he shows up, he'll it all up, he'll look any way he can. But I came to tell you that he's interested in one thing. If he can sow enough tares in your field, that your field is not worth harvesting because there's more tares than there is good fruit. Hey, that's all he's worried about. If the enemy can stop the fruit production of the church, if the enemy can stop the fruit production of your life, if the enemy can can stop the fruit production of your home he will be successful and the only way that the enemy will not enter and so tears in your harvest is if we stay awake and declare you're not going to come into my field but I'm going to fight if I have to fight because I'm doing what God has called me to do I refuse to become weary in well doing look at your neighbor and tell them don't be weary In well doing. And then there is another group that the Bible speaks about. And this group is a group that seems to do everything okay. As a matter of fact, they have it right. He comes to the Lord and looks at him and says, Good master. With smugness and piety and arrogance. And he looks at Jesus and he says to him, good master. What must I do to be saved? And the Lord looks at him and he pulls out a piece of paper. And he starts reading through the piece of paper. And he tells him, well, let me give you what the law says you got to do. He goes down the list. He says, honor your father and mother. Don't steal and don't lie and don't commit adultery. And he goes through the whole list. And when he gets to the end of the list, the prodigal son looks at him with his smugness and with his arrogance. And he said, all of those things. I've been doing since my youth. I wouldn't even dare to think about doing one of those things. Well, pastor, don't you even dare to ask me about sin and what's going on in my life. I wouldn't dare to do it. Listen, you can lie to your mother. You can lie to your brother. You can lie to your pastor. But God knows what's going on in your heart the problem with the prodigal son the problem with the rich young ruler rather the problem with the rich young ruler was that he was a good man and he had done a lot of good there's nothing wrong with that but the deal was he had an attitude that because he had been good in a lot of areas he fixed all the easy things first but the hard things he couldn't deal with can I come at you tonight and tell this church that I believe there's some folks that get everything else right. You tie your tie right. You carry your purse right. You fix your hair right. You look the part. You can say hallelujah with the best of them. You learn how to clap your hands. You learn how to sing. You learn how to wave your hands. You learn how to say praise the Lord, brother. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. You learn every, you get all the easy stuff down. But when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, but there's one thing that's been too hard for you since you were a child. And it's just one thing. It's not a lot. But there's one thing that I'm going to speak to you that I'm going to call you to go and change. And he looks at him and he says, I've dealt with all the easy things. But the Bible said he went away sorrowfully. Why? Because he fixed the easy things. He did what was right as long as they were easy. But when it became hard, he said I can't do it and he walked away sorrowfully can I call on some people to discern the times and realize there's some things in your life that you may need to get right with God now and say God I'm not waiting for the judgment day I'm not waiting for another opportunity I'm not waiting for another season of fasting but I gotta get it right with you tonight
1: Oh, somebody lift up your hands and call
0: on the name of the Lord. We get all the easy things right, but we struggle with the difficult things. And I close with this tonight. How long have I been preaching, Lord? Too long. There was another group, the group from the tribe of Levi, known as the Levites. Their job was a difficult one. Their job consisted of dealing with the things. From the house of the Lord. When the word of the Lord came forth. And said it's time to move. They had to go into that which was holy. And they had to break down the tabernacle. And they had to place everything back in its position. And they put it all, they put the tablets of stone containing the law. They put Aaron's rod that butted in to the Ark of the Covenant. They put all of the things into the Ark of the Covenant that were required of God. And when they put it all together, their job was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now that seems to you and me today like a pretty easy job. But I've got to take a few minutes tonight to remind you that not everything that looks easy is easy. Because as a matter of fact, as I study and look at Scripture, I am starting to believe that the Ark of the Covenant was too heavy for the Levites to be able to carry. If you do the research of the size and the dimension and the wooden structure and all of the gold that overlaid it and the cherubims on the mercy seat, plus all of the other items that were placed inside it. There would be no way possible that four men would be able to pick up such a load and carry it. Leading me to my final point in this message tonight. And that is that some things God has designed and God has chosen you for it. All right. wow. And it is too hard for you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. Wait a minute, Pastor. I think you're getting theology out of sorts. No, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are, Pastor. The Lord said he won't put more on you than you can bear. The Lord said, let me tell you something. The Ark of the Covenant was too heavy for the Levites to carry. There were some four hundred to 600,000 Levites designed to trade positions to try to carry the Ark of the Covenant. They carried the Ark of the Covenant and the poles that went through it literally would have cut grooves into their shoulders as they tried to carry the Ark of the Covenant. It was too heavy for them. And when the word of the Lord came forth and said, it's time to move, tear down the tents, make up the house, put everything together. I can only imagine how the Levites must have felt when all of a sudden out from the perimeters of the people of God comes all sorts of oxen and all sorts, sorts of carts and they started rolling up the tent and they were piling the tent on the cart and they were putting all of the homemakings on the cart and they were hitching up the oxen and they were hitching up the horses and they were getting everything ready to travel and here are the Levites walking around and they're getting everything together in the place of worship and of that which was holy and I can see them becoming disgruntled and getting frustrated and looking at one another and saying I don't understand Stand it. God levitates a rock and causes a rock to follow us that no man could possibly muster to even get it on a cart yet the cart. God just levitates it with a word and it follows us everywhere we go. God directs the fire and it leads us all through the wilderness and God directs a, a cloud to be able to overshadow us and to lead us through the wilderness and then God gives a cart to everybody else and they put all of their goods on the cart but then he expects us to get under the load of the church to get under the load of the things of God why doesn't he give us a cart maybe we ought to devise one and build one on our own and they tried it and they failed because God said I'm not going to allow you to take into human reasoning that which I have chosen to be too hard for you. Some things that God has put on you is too hard for you. But when they said it was time to go and all of the carts began to move, the the, the Levites were expected to get under the load of the the, the Ark of the Covenant and to carry it for 40 years through the wilderness. They they carried it over desert land, through the thorns and thistles of the desert and over mountain ranges and, and through the sharp turns of, of of the mountain roads that would have traveled through the region and how difficult and how treacherous it would have been and, and no doubt they got frustrated they got they, they didn't understand they didn't know but they yet nevertheless would get under the load and they would say here you are I need four men to get under the load and they got under the load of the cart under the load of the ark and they put that pole on their shoulders And when they began to lift, they they couldn't, the burden was too heavy for them. They tried with everything they have and they couldn't lift it. And here's one little verse that gives me insight into what happened. And the scripture said that the Lord helped them that bear the burden of the ark. The Lord helped them that bear the burden of the ark. In other words, when they got under the load and the Lord said, go, and they started lifting and they said, it's too heavy for me. I can't do it. The hand of the Lord reached down and wrapped around the ark and began to lift the burden, began to lift it. He could have levitated it. He could have transported it to the next place that they were going to. But he said, I want you to get under the load of it and when you do everything that you can do I want you to be reminded every step you take it's too heavy for me it's too heavy for me I can't do it without you Lord I can't go without you Lord I gotta have your hand I gotta have you lifting the burden I gotta have you Lord carrying the load oh somebody get on your feet give God praise in the house I just can't get away from it and the Lord help them that bear the burden <laughs> and the Lord help them that bear the burden can I tell you tonight that somebody in this house needs to discern the times and understand where we are and somebody says pastor we're under a load we're in a building project you've got work days going on you have fundraisers going we have special services we are tired and weary and worn out I can't do it exactly where God wants us because God wants to reach down tonight and he wants to put his hand under the load that you're carrying and with his mighty hand he wants to lift the burden off of you to where it becomes bearable. I think that's why he said, I won't put more on you than what you're able to bear. He didn't say, I wouldn't put a load on you. He said, I won't burden you beyond what you're able to bear. He said, in every temptation, I will make a way of escape. In other words, everywhere you are, God is there. He's going to help you in every situation that you're in. And so when things become too difficult for you, just expect it. The hand of the Lord is going to undergird. The hand of the Lord is going to... To lift up the burden. The hand of the Lord is going to lift you and your burden. Lift your hands toward heaven. I'm calling us tonight to discern the time to recognize where we are. God's not forgotten you. God's not walking away from you. God is not lifting. He, he's not putting more on you than you're able to bear. As a matter of fact, He's wanting you in these last days to be more productive than what you have ever been. He's, the church is going to do more in these last days than what she has ever done. I know the Bible speaks about a great fall and a way that's going to happen in the end time. But it also speaks of a great, mighty end time revival. And I believe that we're just stepping into the first we're stepping in just beyond the entrance gates into that massive revival and harvest that God is wanting to pour out that means it's going to be laborious it's going to be heavy it, we, there's going to be a load for us to carry but God's going to lift the burden of those that are carrying it i'm preaching to men and women young men and women in this room that says i'm going to get under the load financially i'm going to get under the load physically i'm going to be i'm going to be faithful to the kingdom of god i'm going to be faithful in everything that I do I'm gonna work I'm gonna labor I'm going to help carry my load of the burden because God God has placed me here he's chosen me this is where he's put me he could have put you somewhere else this church has never been intended to feed the hungry all over the world we do the best we can this church is never going to be able to truly be effective in doing in, in building homes for people and and and, and we I doubt we ever are truly effective but there is one thing that we can be effective doing. And that is reaching the city of Frankfurt. That is reaching your neighborhood. That is reaching your lost family. That is doing what you can do. Come on, somebody needs to, desire to get under the burden to, and the desire tonight of saying whatever I can do, I'm going to do it. I'm under the load of it. I'm going to lift with everything I've got and trust that God is going to see me through. If that's you tonight, Step out from where you are. Make your way to the front of this room and commit it unto the Lord and say, God, I'm coming tonight because I need your help. I'm going to be more committed than I've ever been. I want to understand right where we are. I don't ever want to be on the outside not discerning where we are as a people, where we are as a church, where we are as a nation. But God, I want to be right in the center of your will. Somebody call on the name of the Lord tonight. Somebody call on the name of the Lord. do one more thing tonight I want to do one more thing tonight Summer pray and continue to do so when the Levites got under the load and began to carry the ark the Lord didn't design the ark to be carried by one person or two or three but he wanted balance and he put four together to carry the ark I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. It's going to require a little movement. You're going to have to move about. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable doing so. And I know we have guests with us tonight. And I invite you to join in with us. But we're going to pray together tonight. What I'd like for us to do tonight is to gather in groups. Would you gather in groups of three or four or five? You don't have to be exact tonight. But I want you to gather in groups. I want you to get together with a group. A group of people that you have faith in. That you believe that will help you carry the burden. That will help you carry the load. And we're, we've got to understand we're working together. We're labors together with Christ. We're not to be an island to ourselves. We're not to be out and be the Lone ranger out here riding along in the prairie alone. But God wants us to work together, to labor together. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. Gather together, find a group, step out from where you are, walk across the church, whatever you have to do. Be a part, take the initiative. Be a part of what's happening now. Step up, get together with a group of people. And I just want you, brother to brother, sister to sister, however you choose to do tonight, if you hold a hand, lay a hand on a shoulder, whatever we're going to do tonight. But I want you to link your heart and faith together. And I want you to pray a prayer of unification. God, unify us to learn to labor together. In order to carry the ark, they couldn't walk at their own pace. There had to be a pace setter. They had to walk together in unity. They had to learn to take steps together, to navigate together. That's what we've got to do as a church. We've got to discern the times and know that we've got to work together like never before. We've got to labor together like never before. We can't be out and be on our own, but we've got to have the help of the Lord. And we've got to walk in unison with our brothers and our sisters. Come on, that's it. Pray one for another. Carry one another's burden. Lift one another up in prayer. Let the prayer of faith arise in your spirit tonight. Come on, be sensitive to that one you're praying for right now. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Don't be backward. Step up to it now. Pray one for another. We are laborers together with Christ. We are lifting one another up. We are carrying the load together. We're workers together. We're unified. We're going to do more than we've ever done because we're working together. In the name of the Lord, let unity rest over this congregation like never before. Oh, yes. Yes. If you feel like leaving one group, going to another, that's good. Pray one for another for a few minutes. Strengthen one another. You don't know the load that your brother or your sister may be carrying. Be strength to them. Help them carry the load. Here's what we're going to do tonight. My wife just came and shared with me a great need that is among us tonight. I want to ask you children if you would just step right over to the side right over here just make us a little bit of room stepping over to the side. We're going to pray for Lily tonight. How old is Lily? Seven months. Lily's seven months old and she needs a miracle. She needs either needs a miracle from the Lord to do a divine healing in her life and that's what we're going to pray for tonight or she needs to have a surgery and the the problem is, is she needs to have the surgery now but because of her age the doctors are wanting to wait at least a year and they may not be able to do that and so she is needing a miracle and she needs a miracle now and we know a miracle working God And her mother's been coming faithfully, bringing her to the house of the Lord. And we're going to be the church tonight. How many of you have ever received a miracle? I want to encourage you tonight. Let let me encourage you tonight. Dylan, step up here by me. I know most everybody knows the story right here, but doctors told us. We won't give you any chance of his survival for 24 hours. And if he lives 24 hours, we'll give him a 50-50 chance of making it for the next 48. And until he gets outside of that 48, we really won't make much prediction beyond that. Nineteen days neonatal intensive care, the doctors called together. They sat down with my wife and I, and they said, Your son is gonna always be behind. Want to prepare you. He's gonna possibly be blind. And so you've just got to prepare yourself. They said, he's always going to be smaller than all the rest of the kids. And said, he's going to be real, real ugly. Well, I made that part up. Because he looks like his beautiful mother and a little bit like his dad. But his handsomeness he gets from his dad, of course. (laughs) I looked over there tonight. He was playing that organ, flipping sheet music over, reading it. We were rejoicing with Sister McCole's song, but you know me. I started crying. Because all I can say is there's a miracle (laughs) sitting on that organ. There's a miracle standing right here. And if God can do it for Dylan, God can do it for Lily. I want our ministers to step up here right now, Brother Tanny. I want you to lay hands on Lily together and now step over here. Let's pray together. Everybody in the room, if you don't have faith, find some faith tonight. I want you to put your hands on this mother and pray with her tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, oh, in the name of Jesus, I release healing in this house right now. I release faith in this house right now. Let the gift of healing flow. Let the gift of faith flow. Let a miracle be released in the house tonight. Not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord, let it be done. In Jesus' name, begin a work of healing tonight. Work in this life in Jesus' name. God, we rejoice in you. Come on, somebody rejoice in the Lord tonight. If you know he's a healer, if you know he's a waymaker. maker, You know he's a way maker. He's a way maker. Some of you ladies will make room right here for Sister Kara to step up here. She's got surgery coming this week. The Lord's going to be with her. We're going to pray over her right now. I feel the gift of faith in the room tonight. The gift of faith is loose in the house tonight. Some of you lay hands on Sister Kara. The Lord's going to be with her. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes. My Savior forever. Thank uh-huh. you. Asked for us to anoint a handkerchief tonight for Jamie Stockburger, I believe is her name. We know her Jamie Houston. I stopped by the hospital to see her. First, let me say, sister, sister Jason, Brother Jason went by and prayed for her the other day. I came in the day after, or two days after, maybe it was, a day or two after. And what had transpired. Jamie was involved in a very serious automobile accident and they were not sure she would ever walk again. They did back surgery, her spine was broken in two places. And they were concerned that she would never walk again. But the Jason sister Daza went to the hospital and prayed for her. And the next day or the same day, I'm not sure of the timing, they came in to do the first test to see if she would be able to have any movement. And this was gonna be very significant. So they helped her to stand, and then they attempted for her to begin to walk, and she was able to take two steps. Severe pain, the doctor said it may be 12 months of recovery, but she's going to walk again. And when I went in the hospital, tears streaming down Jamie's face, she couldn't speak because of the oxygen mask and all the things on her but I spoke to those that were there in the room, and it was without a doubt that they believed that it was because of the prayer. Brother Jason, I'm looking for you. There you are. They believe it was because of the prayer that you and your wife prayed. I believe God's going to reach into that family. We're going to anoint this handkerchief tonight. We don't know how long she's going to be in the hospital, but we're going to pray for complete recovery. She has punctured lungs, also broken ribs several, several very severe needs in her body particularly her ability to be able to walk without pain again is a great need we're going to take this handkerchief there's no healing in the handkerchief but God has the healing this is a point of contact in faith we're just taking it to her for her to be reminded every time she touches that handkerchief it's here with me somebody's praying for me somebody's believing God with me it's going to happen You ministers lay hands together on that handkerchief joined together with faith right now. In the name of the Lord we declare healing over Jamie's body. Lord we declare that you're going to reach that family. Minister to them with the love of Christ. Let the love of Christ come through us. You sister Daisa and brother Jason and my wife and I and every person that makes contact with them. Lord use them to be vessels to witness. Let your glory move in that hospital room where she's at tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we declare it in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name.